0: Daily, Dave Hodgson.
1: Hey,
0: Dave. Oh, well, I'm delighted to have on the line now from Ireland, Peter Wedderburn, on his uh, book "Pet Subjects: Animal Tales from Telegraph's Resident Vets." Uh, good afternoon to you, Peter. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thanks, Dave. Uh,
0: what, what's it like there in the, in the Ireland this afternoon?
1: It's like the first day of summer. The sun is out not another cloud in the sky and it's pleasantly warm so it won't be quite as pleasant it is with you but it's not bad for this part of the world
0: well I, I was speaking to somebody in england earlier and they were saying it was a quite heavy rain there so um there we go so Ireland doing better than england that's for sure yeah, yeah. Uh, so peter tell us a little bit about how you uh, come about writing this uh, book and uh, uh, it must have been quite an interesting to go back over some of the old stories i suppose
1: It was. I mean, the book needs a little bit of explaining because, well, I've been writing a a weekly column for the Daily Telegraph for the last decade. And so every every week, I answer three or four interesting questions from from readers about their pets. Um, But... What, what that means is I built up quite a big sort of encyclopedia of questions and answers, but that in itself wouldn't be a good enough basis for a book. It wouldn't be very interesting to read, mm-hmm. I wouldn't think, just by itself. So what I worked out with the editors was an interesting angle, which was to, to go through my own case archives, because yeah. I'm a vet in practice, and to come up with some of the more intriguing and interesting cases that I've seen in practice, and to, to, to write them up. So that what I do is I take people on a journey with me, whereby um, I introduce them to the animal, and it could yeah. be a, a cat called Nero or a, a dog called Sam. And, I, and, and they go through as if they were standing beside me in the consort room. Yeah. When, this, when this animal comes into my concert room, the uh, owner says... Um, my cat's got this gravelly cough or my dog has just stopped eating and I don't know why Um, and so I I tell the tale of what actually happens um, with each case
0: So there's almost like a, a bit of a story going on there but also the readers are kind of prompted to actually think about what the outcome could be I suppose
1: Yes. I've always, I mean, one of my passions in life is to explain veterinary to people in an interesting and and, and enjoyable way. I love my job. It's, it's it's a great way to pass the time being a vet. Um, and part of the, the joy is in solving mysteries. Um, not every case is a mystery. Some things are quite straightforward, but probably maybe one case in 10 yeah. is really intriguing. And you, you, you have to kind of scratch your head and think about it. What on earth is causing these symptoms in this animal? And so the stories that have chosen for the book are based on that idea of the real head scratches, the real curious ones. Mm. And the great thing about my job is that at the end of each case you always get the answer. You always find out what it was that was causing the science. And then when you know what it is and you've made your diagnosis, well then you can help the animals.
0: I was going to ask you that. Is there ever a time when you are completely baffled and uh, but you just said that there is always an answer at the end of the day? That
1: always, always. Um, I suppose um, there have been cases that, that um, where, where things don't work out, but the thing is that uh, that happens very yeah. rarely. And in those cases, then well, uh, sadly, an autopsy is sometimes how you discover it. well that's what it was. But there's never a mystery that carries on. The mystery is always solved at the end and that's what's enjoyable about the book i think is that people start off like me when the animal comes into the concert room going what is that and then by the end of it they go okay so that's what it was and it helps people understand about veterinary science and about animal health as well as enjoying just a good old yarn because the best stories have a beginning a middle and an end and that's exactly what each of these 22 stories does and by the way in between the 22 stories um There's a selection of some of the more intriguing um, questions and answers that I've that I've answered in the Telegraph over the over the decade, because some of some of those questions really are quite interesting. What people, the 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 baffling problems people have with their own pets, and I I've always enjoyed doing the research to find out the best possible answers for them. And so again, people will find those bits of the book in between the stories. They'll find those little snippets. Quite entertaining as well, I think.
0: Well, maybe we can try and get an example of one of those off you in a moment. I just wanted to ask, um, because you know when, when I go to a GP and sit down, I'm able to say, you know, I've got this issue going on at the moment, and, uh, and it's almost like a process of elimination. It seems to me that the GP is going through all the possible uh, symptoms, what, why they're being caused and so on. Um, for a vet, of course, you, you, you're a little bit more in the dark, aren't you?
1: You are, because they can't talk to you at all. So you can't ask the patient anything directly. What that means is that the owner is an absolute key part of the process. Mm. And and almost like before you even go near the animal, listening to exactly what the owner is saying is really important. So, you know, um, every aspect of the pet's lifestyle, however Insignificant, it may seem to the owner. It can be really, really helpful to the vet. Things like how much water the animal's drinking, yeah. what kind of food they're eating, what sort of exercise they've taken, what are their sleeping habits, any change in their environment, any cut flowers in the house—lots of little things like that that owners mightn't think of. The first thing vets have to do is to extract that information from the owner because you can't interview the patient. So interviewing the owner is the best, the next best thing. Yeah.
0: I'm talking to Peter Wedderburn about his book, Pet Subjects. Peter, I suppose in some respects, um, you're dealing with people a lot, aren't you? Because um, I know from my experience of being a, a pet lover and having my own pets, uh, um, you know, it's quite an emotional time when your pet's not way well. So maybe most of your work is actually going on uh, helping the, uh, the owners out.
1: It it is, of course. I mean, some people become vets because they like animals and don't like people so much, but that doesn't really work. You have to really like people, because every animal (laughs) brings at least one person with them, sometimes more than one person. And so you you have to get good at at, at dealing with people, and you have to enjoy dealing with people, and dealing with people at a time when they're very vulnerable, sometimes at a time when they're quite angry, Um, because, you know, um, it's very, very upsetting when when a pet gets very ill, Um, and, and so... As, you know, you, you have to get you have to be prepared to deal with a wide range of emotions. And indeed, when animals at the end of their lives are, are euthanized or die, you experience human emotion in a very raw state where, where people are, 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 you know, they, they may be wailing with grief. And, and as a vet, you've got to stand there and be with them at those times. Mm. So it is quite a demanding job with the people, um, never mind with the animals.
0: Here's a question for you. And I think this will be a question I was sending to Telegraph and what an answer from a vet. And that mm. is we sadly of course have times when uh dogs are put down or cats are put down uh, and uh obviously it's a very emotional time for the owner i've been in that situation myself uh, how often is that um situation actually avoidable down to money if you get what i'm saying there and how often yeah. is that down to the fact that actually you know what all the money in the world isn't going to fix this uh, anymore
1: I think in the majority of cases, it's the latter. Yeah. Um, there is something called economic euthanasia where people euthanize dogs or cats because they can't afford treatment. But that, generally, that's very rare. Yeah. It's more likely... I mean, obviously, there are some things that are so expensive, people find it hard to contemplate them. But in many cases, those really expensive investigations and treatments really are just putting off the final day. An example would be when I... A dog that came into me last week, which we suspect has a brain tumour. So the the dog has, you know, uh, um, it's gone blind, yeah. and um, we, other signs that it has lead us to suspect that there's a brain inside it, a tumour, a tumour in its brain in, inside its skull. Now, to, to diagnose that properly, we'd have to do an MRI scan um, mm. or a CAT scan, um, and then it would be possible in theory to do brain surgery. But really, that's well, that's expensive, and they're not going to do it. But even if they did it, it would be very, very unlikely to extend the animal's life. Yeah. It would give them more information about what's going on with their pets, and that would make them feel um, more reassured when it came to making a decision for euthanasia because they'd have been absolutely definitive about what was going on. Yeah. Um, but I think it's relatively rare for really expensive treatment to transform an animal's life and to, 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 to make them as if they're a, a new young animal again. I mean, obviously, we've all seen supervest super and we've all seen the remarkable um, treatments that are possible. But those are really the exception rather than the rule. Yeah.
0: And how has it changed over the years, uh, the, the treatment that's available for animals?
1: Well, I think the biggest, tre- biggest change is there's an awful lot more available now. Yeah. An awful lot more can be done especially from the point of view of investigations. Like I've mentioned, the so-called dynamic imaging, where, where you're you know, using scans to, to, to create a 3D um, a, a representation of the, the whole of the inside of the animal's body. Those kind of things weren't available before. Um, and But, you know, other than that, it's really remarkably similar. So James Herriot, who wrote about veterinary practice back in the, in the 1940s and 50s, you know, the fundamentals are the same. You know, uh, the fundamentals of animals getting sick and of people looking after them, getting worried about them, these are all the same. And they're they're really, um, they're a story of humanity and the animals that they adore. And and that's a story that's, I don't think that will ever change, really.
0: It's a difficult one because, uh, like you say, with humans, they can tell you when there's something wrong as an owner. Mm. You're Mm. kind of waiting for the symptoms. And we we had a, a cat, a lovely cat, great character, um, yes. But uh, he, he got attacked by some Spanish hunting dogs here in Spain that were on the loose, and they starved yeah. these dogs, so the dogs just want to you know, go for anything. And mm. I literally caught these dogs uh, on the cat. They were got out of a farm, and uh, the cat was obviously not in a very Thomas. good shape yeah. you know, teeth marks and everything so he didn't actually die from his injuries but he died from an underlying problem with his immune system uh, where his oh, immune dear. system wasn't able to some sort of illness uh, that stopped his immune system being able to cope with uh, the trauma of it all so uh, and mm. we had no idea that he had this illness you know it's just mm. um, you know cats don't say by the way i've got an illness you know uh, it's, it no. is sometimes difficult no. for the owners isn't it? a lot of things
1: underlying that we don't know about well, that's it. Um, it's obvious if a pet becomes suddenly very ill, but long-term chronic disease is, is, isn't always so obvious. And uh, um, yes, it's very difficult to deal with as well.
0: Yeah, it sure yes. is. Um, Well, mate,
1: I, go on, sorry. I was going to say, I've got, here's one of the questions that I, I, you're asking about, the yes. sort of questions I have to answer. Here's one of the ones, my nine-year-old tortoise has started attacking our feet when we let her out of her tank. <laughs> she runs around the room Biting our, 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 our feet, whether we're bare feet or with shoes on. Why is she doing this, and how can I stop her?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear your answer now. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, the thing is, um, I won't go. It's quite a long answer. Yes, what okay. I will say is, is that essentially, it's about meeting her physical and psychological needs. Yeah. Um, because they, you know, people think about animals are just sort of sitting there like just breathing and being alive and, and that's it. Whereas actually every animal has got psychological and social and physical needs. Yeah. So with that particular tortoise, they, they had to look very carefully at the whole of the animal's lifestyle. What's the toys that they have for it? What interactions could the tortoise have with other, other creatures at all? Um, and, um, you know, were they feeding it correctly? And at the end of the day, what, they, what those people had to do was to visit a website called the org, yeah. And that's a website which gives people really broad advice on how best to look after these little pets. Exotic pets especially, they're often neglected accidentally because people just don't know how to look after them properly. And when they're neglected like that, then they start to show bizarre behavior like chasing your (laughs) (laughs) feet.
0: I don't want to ruin your reputation here, but I'm just going to ask you this one. Um, Like you say, some pets are quite exotic, and I should imagine when you're doing your training, you're obviously focusing on the mainstream pets, you know, dogs, cats, and, you know, the rabbits or whatever. And um, so is it a bit of a learning curve when you actually start practicing, right? You know, is that when the real education starts?
1: Well, yes and no. I mean... at vet college, you get taught about every animal that's kept as a pet but, or kept indeed a, on, as a farm animal. You're taught the basics, yeah. um, and you're taught enough that you, you, you know the principles of it. And after that, it is just a case of, um, you know, doing the basics well, as in taking a full history, examining the animal and taking blood samples and urine samples and having them analysed. And after that, you know, it's remarkably similar across the different species. When it comes down to the the, um, detail of really exotic animals, generally vets these days would refer a case on to somebody whose job is dealing with nothing but those animals. But it is amazing how much you can get right by just doing the basics, which are the same across species. And these days, especially with the Internet, there are, there are vet-only subscription-type websites where we vets can discuss complex cases with vets who are specialists. Yeah. So just as communications have, have got better you know, it, for, for us all, but particularly for vets, they have got much, much better as well. So we, it's much easier for me nowadays to talk to somebody who does nothing but tortoises yeah. than it would have been um, 20 years ago. And so there's lots and lots of help available to vets. We're not working in bubbles, we're working together.
0: Alongside that, has have you seen a change in, in what people are c- keeping as pets nowadays?
1: Yes, I, I, I don't particularly like that trend, um, but, but there are, people do seem sometimes want animals because of their sort of rare nature. A status symbol. Yes, status symbols. Whether they're little pygmy hedgehogs or strange-looking amphibian creatures or peculiar fish, or indeed um, some dog breeds like pugs and French bulldogs, which are, uh, you know, very adorable creatures individually, but but sometimes the actual keeping of these animals and the disease they suffer from... for a vet, it can be a bit distressing because you kind of go, "Well, really, is this in the best interest of this animal to be like this?" Yeah. Um, I'd much rather the focus is purely on the animal's health um, rather than rather than people choosing animals that are that have, uh, I don't know, kudos because of their the curiosity factor, do you know? Uh, also,
0: uh, for you, working in media, um, with the hmm. Telegraph, that, that's a, a, a different angle for most, uh, vets, isn't it? So, uh, is that, is that a new kind of skill that you've learned over the years and had to kind of add to your repertoire?
1: Well, do you know, for, for me, um, the English language is always something that fascinated me. So uh, at school, um, English was actually mm-hmm. my favorite subject. But as a vet, you had to move away from that to get into science. So once I qualified as a vet and been working for a few years, I started to do writing and evening classes, and I, I found I enjoyed it so much that I just looked for an outlet for it, yeah. and that's how it happened into the, the Telegraph. Um, I, I really like sharing my, sharing my knowledge and sharing information with the public, and I really like if you like, putting the real truth out there. There's lots of myths out there, especially on the internet, about, you know, um, misunderstandings about animals. And so I, I, have a, I have a Facebook page, which is called Pete the Vet, and I'm, it's, it's very active. I would have uh, just about 20,000 people follow wow. me on that. You and might every have day more now. <laughs> every day I'd post two or three stories of cases from Prats or things in the news. And my, as I say, my aim is to educate people, and, and not in a patronizing way, but just that in my job... I, I know what's going on with animals, and I, I really like to pass that information on yeah. to people in a, in a kind of responsible way. It's, it's, it's really for me; it's enjoyable. I'm very blessed that I'm able just to do what I enjoy doing, which is talking about animals. Absolutely, <laughs> sounds great.
0: And so, if anybody wants to uh, on Facebook, look you, Pete the Vet on Facebook. You might have a few more followers by the end of the day. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd uh, be great. Uh, what's the greatest feeling in the world for you as a vet?
1: One of the greatest feelings is when somebody who's lost their pet. I don't see them for a while, and then they come in with a puppy or a kitten. That, to me, is a great feeling yeah. because it means that there's been some healing and that they've had the optimism and faith to try again and and that they, I know that they're going to once again enjoy spending their life with an animal. And that, for me, that's probably one of the greatest things.
0: And so often people say, I'm never having another pet, never, never going to do it. And then three <sighs> months later, there they are.
1: There they are, and, <laughs> and, 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 and the joy of young life, puppies and kittens. I mean, you know, who wouldn't enjoy that? Absolutely. Uh, well, yeah. look, thank
0: you for coming on, Peter. Really appreciate it. The book's called Pet Subjects. It's available, of course, uh, online, and it's available at talkradioeurope.com if you click on our bookshop banner. It's called uh, Pet Subjects, Animal Tales from the Telegraph Resident Vet by Pete Weatherburn. Uh, Pete, thank you for coming on. Have you got a Twitter as well that anybody can find you on?
1: Have I, have I got a what, Sorry, uh, are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter as
0: at Pete the vet. Pete the vet and Pete the Vet on Facebook as well. Uh, Absolutely. Pete, Pete the Vet, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Talk <laughs> you to you again care. sometime. Oh, right. Yeah. Take care. Bye now.